0: And this is the Age Group Multisport podcast with me Richard Conway. This is a platform for age group multisport athletes to showcase their journeys. Welcome along to episode 71 of the Age Group Multisport podcast. Hope you're all well and thank you once again for taking your time out to give us a listen. And if you do like what you hear, please, if you could go across to your favourite podcast platform and leave us a rating and if you like comments, uh, that would be much appreciated. On this episode, we speak to 26-year-old Ben Somerville and Ben first got into triathlon through his swimming coach and his swimming coach basically said to him go and watch the 2012 Olympics uh, triathlon and see what you think see if it's something that will grab you Uh, so he did and he watched the Brownlees and we all know how that went and uh, he was hooked and the rest as they say is history so we delve into Ben's background and follow his story which has led him to become a coach himself. So that's coming up and you may or may not have heard us mention that um, a group of us from our little triathlon club here in Lincolnshire um, were at the European Duathlon Championships uh, a couple of weekends ago. Five of us had qualified and seven of us went out, including our two coaches, John and Steve Hunt, to give us some support and we had a blast. It was such a nice event really well ran a fantastic location we were by the, by the sea two of the group had never raced for GB before in- included in all that was uh, a 65th birthday so lots going on and lots to celebrate and what a place to do it in when we arrived at the town it was completely dead there was nothing open at all because uh, the season hadn't started and slowly as the weekend loomed and the race loomed everything sort of Woke up and got to say, the locals embraced it. It was uh, fantastic. And I think they used to put in on events there. Um, They do quite a few duathlons and triathlons anyway. So it's not not something new to them. And you could tell they'd uh, done a really good job. The run course took in, um, well, it started off at the stadium. And we took in a, a couple of laps of the seafront. And ended back at the stadium where Transition was set up. And that was nice because there was lots of support in the town itself. The little old town. And um, then we went out on the bike. And it was like Fenland. You know, very flat. Um, But a nice course. Was one lap. Which is unusual for a drafting race to be fair. Uh, I was fortunate to get into a group of ten. And pretty much stayed out of the wind. Did a bit of a... Bit of a turn, just to show willing on the front, but try to save my legs as much as possible, and then um, yeah, back onto the second run, which again was one more lap round by the seafront and finished in the stadium at the down the hundred meter straight. So yeah, it was uh, it was really well done. Really enjoyed it, and everybody was happy with how they'd performed. It was also great to catch up with the age groupers that had been on the podcast and were racing that weekend as well. Uh, there was. I think it must have been 12 of them. And we had a few medalists, uh, a few gold medalists. Um, So it was really nice to watch them race and watch the success, but more importantly, meet them face-to-face for the first time. Um, And it was really nice for me to get some nice comments from people just coming up and saying how much they enjoyed the podcast and keep it up. So that's really nice uh, feedback and encouragement to keep doing this, so thank you once again. I was just glad actually just to be there in the first place um, on two fronts. Injury free, but with not much run training in my legs unfortunately, due to the injuries. And secondly, to watch Mrs C race her first uh, international race in the uh, GB kit was a special, special moment. So, And also to see our teammates um, perform as well, it, uh, yeah you don't get those moments very often and it was really really special so after the race we obviously needed something to eat so we found a local pizzeria and there was wine flowing and we were all sat round a long table there was there was eight of us the Jacksons, Ros and Phil and their son Rob who come over to support and more importantly celebrate his dad's 65th birthday which was really nice there was Karen Hames, who's been on the podcast previously, and her husband, Chris. I said there was and Steve Hunt, uh, our coaches, who had come over to support and enjoy the experience with the club. And lastly, not leastly, Mrs C, um, who was just buzzing from, from the event. So I took a little bit of um, audio footage and asked everybody how the race had gone and how they were feeling and the best parts of the race. Uh, it's a bit garbled bit bit of a noisy background but hope you appreciate it and just shows the the high everybody was on after the event i'll see you on the other side we are here in italy we have just finished the european championships duathlon and i'm here with my teammates wbc to my right is my wonderful wife who's just completed her first ever gb duathlon and uh, to her right is Steve Hunt. Uh, yeah. didn't compete today. Which was a fantastic supporter. <laughs> 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 next to... I have
1: competed before. Yeah,
0: so yeah, next right. to Steve is his wife, Joe Hunt. Next to Joe is Roz Jackson. Next to Roz is Phil Jackson. And lastly, but not leastly, who has already been on the podcast, is Karen Haynes. How are we, boys and girls? Yeah, we're all good, yeah, that's yeah. That's We've just completed our duathlon and um, anybody got... Any thoughts? How the races went? Who wants to start? Well, it was good. Yeah, I enjoyed
1: it. Nice to be out in the sunshine. (laughs) Tough at the end, as always. What was your
0: hardest bit?
1: The last run. Last Last run. Yeah, Yeah. finding the legs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Favourite part?
1: The first run. So my message to anybody is believe that you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I would never have thought when you started racing GB that I would wear that suit. First run, great bike, horrendous. Need to do more training. Last run, when you've got your when you, when you've got your club mate on your shoulder chasing you down, it makes you focus.
0: <laughs> and your favourite part? Um,
1: you know what? I think my the start was my favourite part. Standing next to. You know teammates yeah. and just you know having support and and just like taking that moment
0: to go shit, i'm here yeah. <laughs> mr jackson yes how's your day been marvellous you. <laughs>
2: you enjoyed the whole of, of experience been, i enjoyed all of it and i uh, enjoyed my bike and i enjoyed everything about it and it was well marshaled and it was jolly good fun. Yeah. thank you
0: will you be partaking in another one
2: uh Probably not
0: (laughs) I love your honesty
2: Probably not, but I will do my best to do whatever's coming up next Absolutely, as always I want to be as good as Karen Yeah, (laughs) as always And Karen, our medal winner
0: at the table Karen Hames, who was on episode 32 previously So go back and listen to her life story Really worth a listen How was your race?
3: Yeah it was really good, I, um, I did struggle a little bit in the, um, on the bike but I was able, we were able to um, join up with another age group in my age group and we were kind of drafting off each other so we were able to save a little bit of energy there, um, because the bike was actually quite windy, whichever direction he seemed to be yeah. going in, um, so that was really helpful. And um, coming off the bike I sort of felt a bit crampy, unfortunately that's kind of transpired into the um, transition so um, I was a little bit delayed in T2 but managed to get my legs going in T2 and um, just you know to pushed on a little bit for the uh, final run so I was quite happy with my performance. Um, I'm not quite runner well, no, anyway so I was really Andrew. happy with that
2: thank you yep. well, done. well done well done can I just say thank you Joe thank you Steve yes yep. John, Steve our triathletes
0: and you athletes
2: Chris this man <laughs> and all for turning it yep. to support so thank you yep. all yep. um, well done if it wasn't for them it would be jolly hard work absolutely Absolutely. And thank you also, very much
1: to
3: the
2: Sharps who couldn't be with us
3: but tried yeah. their bloody hardest to get yeah. I'd yeah, also like to say thank you to the supporters they have been absolutely brilliant today I can't tell you how good it is to see familiar faces you know when you you know you're running and you see those faces that really does spur you on
0: yeah 100% so,
3: thanks for that yeah, yeah. thank that's you coaches thank you
0: coaches thank <laughs> you guys yeah well that's about a wrap I think for for this we're just sat here drinking wine and uh, enjoying the sunshine, so...
1: And there'll be another episode in about two hours after that <laughs> yeah, tomorrow. And that was the best bit, getting a, bag, a yes. bottle of Prosecco in your bag. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs>
1: good
0: point. Thank you very much. You
1: are the So thing we thing.
0: thought we were finished, but then Philip's just realised that he wants to discuss his drafting experience in this draft race. So over to Philip.
2: Well having never experienced this guy. Oh no, Phil, it didn't... You'll have to say all that again, it didn't record. Uh. Sorry. God dear. it didn't? Have, oh, did seriously, it didn't. Didn't. Swiss man. Swiss what man. did I say? You were talking about your drafting oh, experience. Right, sure. Do not edit this bit. Just have a... <laughs> it. <I'm sorry. laughs> yeah, you'll love this <laughs> won't you "Where's this podcast that my dad's?" On? Can we do another podcast? I told you that, told you that two minutes ago. Now I can't remember. <laughs> no, just the, the fact that I've never. I, this is the first proper drafting race I've been in. When I got out on the bike, the wind was straight in your face. I honestly thought this is going to be jolly hard work. People were going past me. Two people went past me and I decided to draft. Worked really hard to get to them, which I did. Once I was with them, it made it so, so much easier. I did try and overtake them all, but once you got out of the draft position, you were hit by the full force of the wind and you soon snuck back in and let them do the work. And it certainly helped me. So, yeah, a hell of an experience and it's well worth trying. He's also just remembered that
0: it was a Swiss man that he uh, overtook on the run after saving his energy um, on the bike, so well worth doing. Well done, Phil. What a high everybody was on after after the race, as you can hear. Um, They were all so excited to have completed it and to have done the best and to have experienced such a nice race. I think it comes across... Um, I think the wine also helped, to be fair, but uh, yeah. So, yeah, that was a little insight there um, to our little tiny club representing GB at the European offline Championships. Um, and it was just, I'd just like to say it was great to be part of it and a, a great group of people. Um, as I always say, nice club for nice people. Right, I think, on to the main event, Um, and we're going to listen to
4: Ben. Thank you ever so much for uh, agreeing to do this and and coming on out. Really appreciate
5: it. No, thank you reason. for having me, first of all. I, I sort of tune in every now and then. Uh, obviously, there's so many really great podcasts at the moment, obviously yours included, but I, I've especially tuned into the sort of a uh, couple of the younger people we you featured, people like Dave Pearce and things like that, because I'm quite good friends with them, so it's nice to kind of hear all their stories. Um, yeah. So... But yeah, love the podcast, and real privilege to sort of be on and contribute to the age group story, my own little way, if possible.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice actually. I've just had um, another uh, young young guy on um, recorded on Friday. I haven't had that many young people on, to be honest. They've all been forty and above. I'm not sure where, why that is. Uh, whether they're a bit hesitant or a bit a bit shy, I'm not sure. So it's nice to have somebody on. Uh, of the younger younger generation to, you know, share their side of the story as well. So fantastic! I think we'll just kick off and if you tell us a little bit about yourself growing up, and uh, what sporting activities you were into as a kid.
5: Yes. Yeah, so uh, I came from a relatively conventional background. Uh, when I was younger, my my dad was a swimming teacher and a swimming coach. So probably before I could walk, I was already in a swimming pool. Um, so I've been a swimmer pretty much all of my life, all, nearly 26 years now. Um, wow. I wasn't very good. I was very keen. I always turned up to training. I always trained really hard. But in the grand scheme of things, compared to my peers, certainly as a sort of a young teenager, I wasn't necessarily as good. But then the swimming club I was in, Froom Swimming Club here in the southwest, was very much focused on short distance. So big, fast efforts so over you know, less than 30 seconds up to only about two, three minutes. And that just really wasn't for me. I wasn't a very big person. And my coach at the time, who was a, who is still a triathlete and triathlon coach, Paul Ryman, um, he just sort of suggested, have you considered doing some longer distance things? This may be something you might find more interesting. And then this was probably 2012, early 2012, when he kind of gave me this suggestion. I thought, okay, Let's really have a go in training, see if I can do something. And then he said, well, just wait a little bit. And in August, or July, August of that year, he said, why don't you watch the Olympic Games? There's two, there's two British athletes, two brothers, who might give you a bit of an insight as to something else that you might want to try. And lo and behold, that was obviously the, the Brownlee brothers, Alice and Johnny winning gold and bronze at the London 2012 Games. I was on holiday in the Lake District watching on a tiny little computer screen in a corner with really terrible internet connection, terrible TV service. But I watched it, and I don't think I even made it to the end of the race before I said to my mum and dad there, this is what I want to do. And over 10 years later, uh, I'm now triathlon crazy triathlete and triathlon coach now. And I couldn't have imagined anything else for myself, to be honest, as a young person. And now as a young adult, sort of starting my my professional career and sort of extending my interests. And it keeps me busy. And so I wouldn't have imagined doing anything else in reality, looking back. And it's all down to not only the Brownlee Brothers and the amazing legacy of those 2012 Summer Olympics, but obviously people like my parents who gave me the support and my swimming club, and to my coach then, who was my very first triathlon coach, Paul Ryman. So if he's if he's listening, I'll make sure he hears. Big thank you to Paul. And a big thank you <laughs> to the Brownlee brothers, who I've been very lucky to meet uh, here and there a few times over the last 10 years. And they are as nice as you can imagine to Northern Lads being and a true testament to the sport.
4: I think so many people after watching that race just thought, yeah, let's, let's give this a go. Um, even... Those people who hadn't really heard of the sport or knew what the sport was about, the the, the Brownlee brothers certainly uh, captured the imagination of the nation. Not just not just people in sport, and it's uh, yeah, their legacy will just hopefully live on and on and uh, years and years to come. So yeah, absolutely amazing. So you were into swimming, and you your coach, like you said, he'd um, decided that you probably want to try looking at this triathlon. So what were the next steps? You said you watched the Olympics. What was the next steps? What did you actually
5: do about that? Uh, between sort of the August of 2012 to then the August of the following year, 2013, i just turned 16. I was doing my, I just finished my GCSEs. I entered my very first sprint triathlon, which was my home sprint triathlon, Froome sprint triathlon here in the Southwest. And I decided to give it a go. I just knew there and then I, uh, my mum and dad helped me out I put a bit of pocket money together and they put a bit of money together. I got my first road bike, a specialised Alley. In hindsight, it weighed an absolute ton, but it did the job. And I just gave it a go. I did my, my local triathlon around friends and family on a beautiful summer's day. I did that race. I think I came second in my age category against one of my fellow swimming club members. And then after I'd done one, that was it. The bug, I caught the bug. And as a young 16-year-old, I thought, this is amazing. You know, you can get out on your bike. You can go out running, explore, and sort of do something different over a longer distance, which I just loved more and more. And then the following month, I did one more triathlon in my local area. Uh, I can't remember which one now. There's been so many in the last ten yeah. years. And then yeah, then it was straight into like my first winter of training. You know, working with Paul and a few local cyclists who sort of took me under their wing to help me out on the bike. That was my big worry. I could do the swimming. I'm a swimmer. It's the from the beginning, right till the end, running I was really enjoying because it was very, very new. But cycling was a big sort of uh, weakness. It was a bit, bit of a limiter. I wasn't, didn't have the confidence really. So a really great group of local cyclists took me under their wing as a young sixteen-year-old and got me out on the roads in some very questionable weather conditions over that first winter. And though the rest really is history, it was just more about putting myself out there. I grabbed every single opportunity to train with different people, to train in different places. I always took my running shoes. I always took my swimming kit and where I could fit it in. I always took my bike somewhere and really tried to make the most of getting out there and being fit and physically active, you know, for mental and physical health, but also to really grab the opportunity that was triathlon because in the UK in 2013, 2014, triathlon was massive. Mm. And the, the the buzz around it was simply incredible. And I just wanted to keep trying new things. For the first couple of years, I did sort of, swimming pool based triathlons. Didn't have much confidence in open water. Seems a a little weird as a swimmer to not have confidence in open water. But I've been swimming in a swimming pool where you can see the bottom. It's got two ends and it's quite nice and controlled and relaxed. I've been doing that for, well, 16 years pretty much. So it was very difficult that transition. But once I made that transition in 2015 to open water, then it really that's when it really kicked off and I realized that was the best thing since sliced bread, pretty much.
4: You're not the first swimmer, you know, uh, that said actually transition to uh, open water from the pool is such a big deal. And for me, not being a non-swimmer and doing exactly the same thing as as we all go through that process, I just find it quite incredible that you guys feel the same way about the intrepidation about, you know, Getting into that different environment and you know not not being able to to really like cope with it and know what it's about, although you're still doing the same the same sport as it, as it is but just the whole different environment uh, just throws a lot of people uh, and swimmers are no different. So yeah, yeah, I do find that I do find that uh, quite quite amazing. Actually.
5: Much to everyone's sort surprise, us swimmers are just humans at the end of the day. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can swim, and we enjoy swimming. It's a bit of type two fun, but at the end of the day, we are still human, and we have those same trepidations and confidence yeah. problems right at the beginning. But that's part of the journey. And I look yeah. back at it and go, I did it in the right time, so I was happy with that, and it's got to, got me to where I am today in the in sort of the best way. So, yeah, yeah,
4: absolutely. So, did you were you in a club then? Um, yes, then I was down. still I was
5: swimming with my swimming club from swimming club, right Um, because obviously swimming was such an important part and still is a very important part of my lifestyle, of my training um, of my social life to be honest Um, but I also started as Froome Triathlon Club developed a bit of a junior sort of focus I I did have some opportunities then as a 16 17 year old whilst I was still at school to do some training with the the Triathlon Club but a lot of the time I was training with all the Masters athletes, the older athletes um, Mm. because I was of that level very quickly and kind of Paul had me as the coach of both the swimming club and the triathlon club kind of really being that person who sort of flip-flopped between the two but it meant I got the best of both worlds I got that social Mm -hmm. environment I got a really good quality training environment and that's really where I found challenge and failure more often than not in those first couple of years and really pushed myself to just really give everything a go and Mm -hmm. uh I don't train with us, as in a formal club environment anymore. I have okay. ended up being a bit of a hermit crab and do a lot of training in my own time, very busy with work and coaching and sort of other, other commitments. So, but I look back and go, those, in those years as a younger person work in that club environment, I'd been so used to it. It was very natural. Just as I've mm-hmm. advanced and matured as an athlete, I find a lot of value from training on my own. And certainly I love training in a group, but sometimes it just doesn't quite work. Uh, from a scheduling point of view, so I, <laughs> yeah. I just get it done on my own. Those those hard miles sometimes they're hard fought on your own, but when you do it, it you get a lot of value out of them. Still,
4: yeah, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. I think you know life takes over, and you've just got to fit it in when you can. And you know, I think a lot of a lot of triathletes do go off on their own, and when they can, they'll go and, go and do the group things and the, the club sessions if possible. And well, a lot of a lot of the time, it's just get it done, like you just said. And um, yeah, on your own, but uh, it all gets, it all gets done and the boxes get ticked and that the main thing. <laughs>
5: Absolutely. And it was, a, it was a hard transition. I won't say it was an easy transition to go from a very squad based environment to a more of a solo based training sort of situation. Turned 18, I was then looking at university. I spent three years at Loughborough University in the yeah. triathlon program there. So I was fully immersed in a squad program and so transitioning out of that when I graduated and moved back home to then seek work and everything else that comes with being a proper adult at that point the transition was really difficult I'd gone from being pretty much living and training almost every hour of every day with fellow triathletes all pursuing the same level of performance or just simply enjoyment within the sport to then pretty much being on my own that was I was a tough transition and you know I have full empathy with every every young person who goes through that sort of transition from a club-based environment to a very sort of solo-focused training situation. But mm-hmm. it was what was necessary at the time. And I look back and I, I, don't, I don't take for granted the years I had at Loughborough. They made me who I am, as, as sort of cliche as it is to kind of say it like that. But those three years were probably some of the most valuable years, both as a person and, and an athlete.
4: Yeah, yeah. So just going back to that, how did the whole uh, Loughborough come about then? What what did you do to get to Loughborough? And then just go into a little bit of the experience of of that um, triathlon program that you you took part in there.
5: Yeah. So obviously I did my A levels, um, like most people my age at the time, and at the time uh, sixth form colleges and. Um, secondary schools were really looking at sending pupils on to university for higher education. So it's not that I wasn't presented any other option, but university was a significantly of, uh, a valued option for us. I didn't really want to go to university. I didn't feel like it was quite the environment for me. Uh, yeah. I'm not the most sociable of people. I like to just get on, do my thing, study hard, train hard, and look after my the rest of my time, be really mindful about it. Um But I thought, okay, if I'm going to go to university, there's only one place I'm going and it's Loughborough. I want to pursue that sporting angle and really make the most of it and see how far I can go. Because at this point, I was still chasing a bit of an elite professional Olympic dream. That inspiration as a 15-year-old from the Brownie Brothers was was still sat there. I wanted to see how far I could go in the sport. And so I applied to university. The only one I applied to was Loughborough. So if I didn't get in, that was it. I wasn't going anywhere. So it was a risk. Um, I chose not to study a sport related subject I enjoyed um, history at the time and things like English language and literature and I I was quite good at them at A-levels as well which always helps but I was very lucky in the sense that my athletic interest and my sort of love of sport and wanting to pursue something in sport as much as what I wanted to achieve academically that helped and I, I, I got my place at Loughborough in 2015 and I studied there till. July 2018 and the squad environment there is it was a game changer I went from quite a reasonably structured social and squad environment as a young swimmer and sort of spending time with an older age group triathlon club into a really really high high performance squad in some of the best facilities in the world at the best sporting university in the world and you know you turn up to the swimming pool one day and we're about to get in and in the lanes next to you, you've got people like Adam Peaty, Liam Tancock, just doing brushstroke and backstroke. Nice and easy. And when you're in there going as fast as you can doing freestyle, they're just cruising past you. <laughs> it's, it's a game-changing experience. It's an eye-opening experience. And I realized then very quickly uh, I wasn't going to be able to achieve that. It was mm-hmm. quite a mellowing and humbling experience to actually. Maybe that isn't the environment for me. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of expectation I simply was still trying to develop in the sport. I'd done a couple of years as a junior elite, but I wasn't really there and thereabouts. I was still developing. I was still trying to find my place to learn new things, progress physically as an athlete. And so I just backed off the whole idea of chasing that Olympic elite dream. I took the advantage of the amazing environment in Loughborough to meet new people, train with new people, try new things, work with new coaches, just absorb the environment and just, see what happens. Dabbled in a little bit of volunteer coaching, running the triathlon club as the chairman for a couple of years, just to kind of give back to the sport that had sort of provided me with so much enjoyment and fulfillment. And that was kind of my Loughborough experience for three years. It was a bit of a bubble, but it's the, once you're in it, it's the best bubble to be in. And it really shaped me as a person and as an athlete as well. And it's kind of shaped how professionally uh, I've developed over the last... Too many years since I graduated. I've lost count. It's been too many years.
4: <laughs> it's not that long. You're not that old. <laughs> I, fi-
5: I feel it sometimes. I feel it sometimes.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I think hats off to you for actually taking a step back and, and realising that actually you weren't going to hit the dreams that you set yourself originally. and You know, changing to, well, I can't do that, so I'll go down a different path and just it sounded as if you were trying to gain as much knowledge as possible, knowing in your mind's eye where you want to be in the future. Um, So yeah, well done there.
5: Um, Yeah. It made me realise that I didn't want the pressure and being an age grouper, you get all the enjoyment of the sport without the pressure. And I I couldn't have asked for more and I couldn't ask for more even to this day. It it was the best choice.
4: Yeah. So you just touched on um, the elite programme. How did that come about? And um, what did it entail for the people that, they're not really, they don't really so, know about it. So
5: for those of you who who aren't aware of how British Triathlon's elite pathway works, in, in our sort of regions, we've got a junior pathway. So in the West, there's an academy. And then usually at universities around the country, the big ones like Loughborough, Leeds, Bath, Cardiff and Stirling. So there's a good spread around the country. There's, a, there's, a, my, there's another pathway centre in Eastbourne down on the south coast, uh, southeast coast. Uh, as well so these um, athletes go through these pathways working with um, coaches more on a group level to start with but once they reach university they're on a proper funded pathway there is british triathlon coaches with support from the english institute of sport from uk sport from the university sport programs and sport support um, services and those are the athletes that are on the development pathway on the world-class pathway Uh, when i was at loughborough i wasn't on the elite pathway Uh, I chose not to trial for it. I trained alongside some of them and worked alongside some of the coaches and the support staff as I moved into different roles within the students triathlon club. Um, But I was training alongside people like David Bishop, Ben Dykstra. This is before Alex Yee's time. After I graduated, Alex Yee then moved to Loughborough. But people like uh, Ben Dykstra and David Bishop and Sophie Coldwell, obviously Sophie Evans now, I should say, uh, were in that Loughborough environment. So there was still an element of camaraderie whether you were on the elite program or whether you were in the the students triathlon program or the development squad that were set up in my final year of, of university there. There was that sense of everyone trained together. Um, but those within the, obviously the performance pathway, the world-class program, they're there to then go compete at the, the world and European cups, the world series events that we see um, streamed live on television throughout the yeah. spring and summer months. Um, and it's just, It was a really great learning opportunity, which is why I very quickly said I don't want to pressurize myself to try and reach this performance level, to be alongside them and compete and train alongside them full time. I wanted to learn from that environment, from the people that support those athletes in the hopes that that may extend new opportunities myself professionally as I get Mm -hmm. older and maybe move away from university. And that's exactly what it's done. And Mm -hmm. so it was the it was the best way of doing it. And it meant I could enjoy my sport, enjoy my academic experience, enjoy my social experience without the pressure and the expectation that it comes from being a funded athlete on a UK sport programme because it is tough. It is really yeah.
4: tough. Oh, yeah. I, I think I was saying this to um, Ben who was on the other day. You know, you, you don't realise how dedicated the, the, the young kids are. That, well, they're not even young kids anymore, they're professionals. And unless you reach the top, and I guess it's like in most sports, unless you reach the top of that particular sport the funding is just and and the lifestyle that you lead you're literally just training living out of a suitcase going to the races um but people have this idea that oh it's all glamour and glitz and this and that and it actually isn't it (laughs) really it's just hard work
5: their experience is much the same as ours Um, just in a sense they don't have to go and work a full-time job as opposed as alongside their training that's probably the biggest and the most obvious difference but you know the daily struggles that we have with motivation and discipline and you know fatigue and progress and stress are entirely the same but there's just that extra element of pressure and expectation that can exaggerate those feelings and that experience for them and so I have full empathy for all those athletes in that position but Equally, high, have even more so empathy and sympathy for every age group out there who has a social life, a family life, a work life, and a training life and a travel life. Because there's a lot of travel that comes with the idea of training and competing in this sport. And um, we're very lucky to have the opportunity to do some crazy traveling experience alongside the sport. But it can be quite overwhelming. And so mm. true to heart, my, my real sort of interest and sympathy is always with with age groupers around the country and around the world, of course.
4: From university, what what have you done and, you know, since since then, through there and out the other side, what what happened?
5: Yeah, so my, I made the most of my sporting years at Loughborough. I had a lot of injury time, unfortunately. I, I did probably train a little bit too much and got very, sort of, head first into the whole atmosphere. And, you know, it was just a, it was a period of progression a period of learning for time for the the mind and the body to adapt to a new way of being an athlete. Um, But when I graduated after a couple of years of really good age group racing and then a little bit left of junior elite racing, I said 18, 19 year old, um, I moved back home um, and I nearly quit the sport. Funnily enough, that first year after university was a real reality shock, real culture check, real life check. I kind of lost my way, lost my purpose. I was in a job I didn't enjoy. Um, Being so focused in sport during my university life, I was looking to stay in Loughborough and work within sport, within the athletic union at the university. That didn't quite pan out, so I had to move back home. And I really struggled with that transition. And the enjoyment I used to get from training and from competing, I just didn't get anymore. It felt like a chore as opposed to a privilege or something that I enjoyed or wanted to do. And so there was a good period of time, sort of early 2019, where I seriously considered that maybe triathlon isn't for me anymore. Maybe as I've grown older, I've grown away from the sport. But Mm. I was very lucky that I had some very good friends that I'd started to really sort of connect with through the sport from different parts of the country. And then I reconnected with people like Paul back home, who just sort of helped give me that motivation, that inspiration just to give it another go. Because it was really starting to suffer, well, sort of impact me negatively on my, on my mental and physical health. I wasn't as fit and active. And for me, that's really important for obviously my physical health, my mental health. It mm-hmm. Almost, I like being busy. I don't like to sit down. It's probably a simple way of putting it. But it's a lot more complex than that. And then later in the t- 2019, it's sort of late spring, early summer, started to get back into a bit of racing. The draft legal age group calendar was really coming into its own. And as something I had a lot of experience as a junior, as an elite, really threw myself in. Okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this well. I had a great coach who was one of the coaches at Loughborough who kept on coaching me, Jack Hall, who's the brother of one Lucy Hall, obviously now Lucy Buckingham. So he was really great in supporting me from afar. And I won my first age group championship medal at Nottingham in 2019. And not that it's all about medals. But at that point, I realized, actually, I can do this. And the sport was still valuable to me. I still, I found my love for the process and for the training and for the atmosphere, that the friendships, the camaraderie. And at that point, I said, okay, it's time to pull my finger out to pardon the French and let's go, let's go for it. And then later that year, on my second championship medal in the Aquathlon in Arundel, the English champs, and then I refocused for another really great winter and obviously, 2020 happened and nothing yeah. really happened um yeah. but I found the love of the sport and then I, I was very lucky to get a great job in 2020 early early in the year that was in a sporting context working and training alongside fellow sports people and then the rest is really an onwards pr- trajectory from there of just more enjoyment more learning more fun and more mm-hmm. progression and uh, that's what my post university has been like it's been probably more valuable than the years i did have at university it's taught me more about who i am as a person and who i am as an athlete from being away from that environment and transitioning into that sort of yeah. normal real world environment instead of the university bubble that
4: was loughborough when did you get into age group racing uh 2016
5: 2016 I, um, when the age group sprint races started becoming draft legal in line mm-hmm. with the move for the international races to be draft legal. So I went to Cozumel, Mexico for the world right. champs in, in 2016, had an absolute whale of a time, got completely sunburnt, but it's almost <laughs> impossible not to. Um, I fell asleep after my last, after the sprint race by the pool with my race tattoo still on my arm. So then when I rubbed it off, I had this sort of sun t- <laughs> Tan line of my race number, so I went into that year's winter pretty much with my race number, sun tan lined into my arm, which was a bit embarrassing, bit of a badge of honour, maybe badge of shame. Um, less alert, always get them off if you're in somewhere warm. <laughs> and and then I didn't do much internationals from after that. It was my next one was Kazan in Russia, 2019. Right, that was quite the experience. That's yeah. where I really found my love for the sport again, um, sort of around that time when I had just had a period of time where I didn't want to be in the sport anymore I found the sport again and met a really, really strong group of friends who we are all still in contact today. We also go to the races together in the UK, race abroad together. We stay together. We do a training camps and training weekends together. We've made yeah. friends for life through things yeah. like that. And, you know, that community and age group spirit is what's kept me going as an age grouper. You know, we all yeah. turn up to the same races and I'm very excited about this year. I've got a lot of age, big age races, championships, and qualifiers. And I'm going to Ibiza for the World Aquathlon Champs and Hamburg, all with friends, not just to have a really great race, but to have like a bit of a holiday as well. Just yeah, to kind yeah. of really enjoy spending that time together as a group of friends, as a community. And also, obviously, when we get to the start line, most of us are in the same age group. We'll be enemies <laughs> at that point. But then oh. anything any, anything else... We are the best of friends, and it's the, it's the it's what makes this sport, and what being an age grouper, what makes it just so much more special than anything I could have imagined. Yeah,
4: yeah. I guess if uh, there's a group of you and you're all in the same age group and it's a drafting race, you might be able to help each other out. Does that ever happen? Yes,
5: it does happen quite a lot, um, even in the, the the UK races. You know, um, we all know who's the better swimmers. And we all know how far off we are or not off we are. So we can all play tactics right at the beginning. There's a bit of banter as well, of course. You know, we're all trying to play mind games with each other, but in reality, it's all good fun. But then on the bike, yeah, because we've raced together so often, we know know each other so well, we've trained together so often, we can play that element of teamwork. But also you can kind of play it against each other because you know these people really, really well. So you know where they're going to start to fall short. And you can kind of try and take advantage of that. And it makes the racing more fun for us when we're doing it. And it makes the racing fun on these some of these spectator-friendly courses like Eton and Cardiff for the people who have come to spectate as well. You know our friends and family, and so it just kind of adds to that experience. And um, it is really good fun. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. To have a group like that is uh, yeah, it's it's pretty special, I think, because uh, I don't think many people have have got a group where there's several several in the group are all going to qualify in the same race for the, at the same you know same place. So yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's almost
5: a team, isn't it? A team in a team. Yeah, it bucks the trend. A lot of people think triathlon is such a solo individual sport. But in reality, it can be, it can be a massive team sport. It is a, such a team endeavour. You know, the team of people you put around you, your coach, someone who, a trusted friend, a training partner, just someone who can lend a bit of advice maybe here, there and everywhere. And then obviously yeah. people that you then race and train with on the race course and off the race course. It is a team. It's a team effort. And, you know, teamwork makes the dream work it's a really cheesy saying but I love it <laughs> because yeah. it, it works teamwork does make the dream work and it, it yeah. keeps it fun it keeps it light takes the pressure off you know the, the races where I've not been around those sort of people and I've been very much in my own little bubble before the race you end up getting quite serious and being really about the race when there's people around you just all the stress is gone you're mm-hmm. laughing you're chatting you're joking obviously you're getting hyped up and psyched for the race and getting really amped up and ready to go but the stress is gone and then once the the gun goes yes you're in race mode but you're so much more relaxed and just being that relaxed and being able to do that consistently and with ease and enjoyment it just makes racing so much easier not that a draft legal sprint is easy, um, <laughs> but it just it takes that weight off, and you enjoy it more. You you don't take it for granted, and you really make the most of every opportunity. You've got a bit of a clearer head, I find sometimes. If you enjoy mm-hmm. the process leading up to the race and try and relax and have fun a bit with people around you, it does clear your head, and you you sort of you're not battling your own little demons constantly. And you can go into the race and just make good decision, get the most out of your performance. And then when you get to the end, regardless of the result, you go, do you know what? That was a really good race. Well done. Now I'm going to go have a McDonald's on the motorway on the way home.
4: <laughs> I was with you up until that point.
5: <laughs> oh, it's, it's my post-race tradition. Me and my dad <laughs> have done lots of drives here, there and everywhere. And we'll always stop at McDonald's or a Burger King on the motorway on the way home. That's a little <laughs> bit of a treat. And well
4: earned. Well, I mean, that's, that's uh, quite a refreshing journey that you've been on there you talked about coaching um and you got into you got into that not straight away from university is that right how did that come about
5: yeah it was something i had something i had in the back of my mind whilst i was at university i started dabbling with sort of a bit volunteering a little bit of my time to support the students club as a swimmer i did i i did a lot of the swim coaching because it's something i'm passionate about something i've got a good amount of experience in but I never allowed myself the opportunity to consider that coaching was a viable either option as something to do in my spare time when I wasn't training or competing or potentially as a viable career alternative. Um, it was only in the last couple of years through my current job that these that the opportunity and the idea really kind of cemented itself. And I thought, actually, I really do want to give back to the sport of triathlon, to other athletes, ideally younger athletes who might not necessarily have Or who may have gone through the same journey as me, who realized that their initial inspiration, that chasing the Olympic or professional dream, maybe wasn't quite realistic, but there is still a place for them in the sport and they just need that opportunity. They might fall through the cracks of a performance pathway at at a regional level or at university level, but there is still people out there who've been through the same thing and can offer them support. And even if they're of not that ability, any ability, I'm not, I'm not precious about it. I know the value of this sport for improving people's mental and physical health and well-being and that sense of fulfillment from being active and being social in that environment. I just want to give back now because I've been so lucky over the last 10 years to get so much from this sport. It has changed my life. And so yeah. being a coach was my way of saying actually, yes, I'm going to give myself the opportunity to help people if they want it. If of course, if they don't want the help, that's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm there, you know, ready and willing to do anything and everything I can to help others thrive in the sport of triathlon as I have, because it changed my life. I I will say it to no end till the day I can no longer do the sport. I will say it would change my life because it
4: does every day. It gives you a a reason to get up in the morning. I always think exercise and keeping well and keeping fit. And and as you get older, you become more conscious of, yeah, the sport's great. But from a longevity and a health point of view, um, it's fundamental. Um, to keep going and keep as fit as you can for as long as you can and compete. You know, I mean, we've all seen the age group thing is from 18 to 80 plus, isn't it? You know, we've all seen it and everybody's amazing in their own category, but those people towards the older end, you just, you know, that's what you're striving for. I think that's what I'm striving for when I'm their age, 70s, 80s, I would love to be still doing what we're currently doing, you know? know,
5: I want to be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, as, and as a coach, I get to learn every day as well. You know, an athlete, you should be learning every day. A coach, should be learning every day. And they just complement each other so well. Yeah. Um, it takes up a lot, an awful lot more time than I expected, but I, I'm not entirely bothered because it makes me a better athlete. It makes me a better person and I enjoy yeah. it more and more. And yeah, I want to keep learning to the point where I can keep being in the sport and being active and being fit and healthy. Yeah, until I'm 80, 90. Who knows? Sky's mm-hmm. the limit here.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you've got to look after yourself. Not too many McDonald's.
5: <laughs> well, every now and then, every now and then, um, you're allowed everything in moderation. Uh, I'm not the strictest yeah. of people when it comes to diet and nutrition. I believe in an everything in moderation approach. But certainly after races, it's nice just to kind of um, indulge.
4: Yeah. it's the spot eh? Hits the spot. Cool. Well, absolutely. I mean, yeah. So are you coaching from for yourself? Or are you with a company or how, how does it work,
5: then? I've been very lucky through my current job. I work in sports nutrition and I've come across some amazing triathlon coaches and triathlon organisations and in particular precision coaching and precision race team, which people may be aware of. They're the ones on the the, the race course with very bright, fluorescent green and yellow sleeves. They're an incredible organization. Their two founders, Will and Raya Usher, uh, a married married couple. They are incredible. They've taken me under their wing as their sprint and Olympic um, focused coach for precision coaching and precision race team. And it's really exciting to be working with such an established organization who've got so much credibility and experience and uh, in never unendingly grateful for the support they've given me and, and that's really where I'm gonna be building my platform as a coach. Um, both online of course. Obviously online coaching is such a valuable tool mm-hmm. for anybody around the world can access a coach in in some way. But also but I, I like group coaching, in person coaching, you know, building a, a hub of people in in the local area or even in multiple areas around the country, hopefully with precision um, coaching or precision race team kind of really Hone in on that community element and that kind of community-driven uh, and community-inspired element that it makes triathlon so special. And to kind of build really focused hubs of athletes that can train and race together, all mm-hmm. under all under one shared banner and one one love the support uh, of the sport and support each other in, in the process of doing that. And so I'm really really lucky that that's where my career has now enabled me to kind of start. You know, my coaching career is very very new, um, but it's certainly very very exciting already.
4: Oh, that's great. Do you want to give um, people listening uh, some information of how to get in touch with you? Yes. So
5: um, like many people my age, we pretty much spend all of our time on social media. So you can find me super easy on social media, um, on Instagram or TikTok. I love a bit of TikTok. Um, Just (laughs) at, at Benjamin Somerville. Nice and easy. That's just my name. Um, there's two M's I an know and two M's in the surname and then on there you'll find me Coach Ben as I like to go by it's just a nickname that's just stuck I quite like it um, so yeah you'll find me on all forms of social media there'll be an email address and a phone number if you want to get in direct contact we can talk about triathlon we talk about training we talk about coaching we can talk about whatever you want I am not bothered um, I like having conversations with people and finding, finding more out about them and if we can if I can support you in any way either through myself or with the other coaches of Precision Race Team It'd be amazing to do so. And I hope to see many of you on a race course this year. If you're doing any sprints or the British Olympic champs, or maybe even a few of the aquathlon events, I will see you on the start line.
4: Cool. Brilliant. Right. We'll go to the um, quick fire round questions. Fantastic. uh, We'll wrap it up. So the first one is what's your favorite bit of kit?
5: Ooh, favorite bit of kit. I love hand paddles in the pool.
4: You know what, you're the second person um, recently who said hand paddles. I love a pair of hand paddles. I've got
5: three different pairs
4: of hand paddles. Andrew Martin, podcast going out tomorrow, um, the Welsh champion, um, he also said hand paddles. And you're the first two that have said it, but yeah, that's quite, quite interesting. So why hand paddles in particular?
5: I like the feel for the water. Obviously, coming from a really strict swimming background, that feel for the water is something we bang on about so much. You know, the feel for the water, you know, holding the water, really, you know, using it to your advantage. But the the sensation, the sensitization you can get by really using a pool boy, uh, a set of paddles, and maybe even a pool boy as well, take your legs out of it completely. I just Mm -hmm. love the feeling. It just helps me really identify where I'm sort of missing um, in my stroke. Um, if anyone's actually seen me swimming for real, I don't have the most elegant of stroke. Uh, looking above the water, underneath is absolutely fine, in my opinion, obviously. Um, but that using the hand paddles just gives me that extra sensitization of what my hands doing every single phase of the stroke, right from the catch all the way through from that to that final propulsive bit at the back before the recovery. And uh, you also, if you can, if, if you use them properly. And get a little bit of extra free speed out of a pair of ha- good hand paddles. So that's always good for the ego and the motivation.
4: Great answer. Just explain to us um, what a week of training looks, looks like for you. Oh,
5: right. So I'm in the middle of my winter at the moment. So in the winter, I'm very much a creature of habit. And just obviously around my work and other commitments, having training at structured times, obviously the content of the training changes every week, but the, the timings of the training is very, very consistent. i love that for a start. So I'm not doing any more than about 15 hours a week of training. Um, in the past, I've done upwards of 30. That is no longer achievable, both by just time or physical capability. I think I would break. Um So Mondays are usually quite an easy day after a big volume weekend. And then majority of my intensity following a little bit of a Norwegian inspired method will be in the middle of the week in a sort of a two day period. And then obviously I go during the winter, big volume on the weekend because that's when I have the free time. But usually uh, one key session across each of the three disciplines. If nothing else, I do those three. And then the rest around that is that supportive element, that supplementary element that is just general uh, fitness building and sort of motivation sort of cash in the motivation bank as uh, me and my coach like to put it and so that's pretty much what my my training week is like very simple so talked, very routine are we
4: talking swimming every day, uh, three runs a week three bikes a week how does it how does it break down
5: three swims a week three bikes a week and upwards of four to five runs a week my focus okay. is running because uh, yeah, it has yeah. always been my most significant weakness and limiter in terms of a draft legal race performance. Great swim. I play the bike really smart. And you know I, I let all the proper cyclists do the work and I sit on their wheels. And then it comes down to a foot race. But being a swimmer, obviously, in the first few years, I my progression was very slow because my injury rate was so high. And so I'm 10 years later really coming into my own as a runner. So the focus sure. is always at the moment, run, 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 in the hopes that, The swim and the bike will always get me to where I want to be. I've just got to back out with a great run. So watch out, everybody.
4: Running's improving. (laughs)
5: Absolutely. And the enjoyment's going up as well. Um, It used to be a bit of a slog because obviously I was either in and out of being injured or I wasn't really progressing. But now I'm enjoying running. I'm progressing. I'm really looking forward to testing it out on a race course very, very soon. Yeah,
4: I mean, the enjoyment, especially, I think, in running, um, if you haven't got that, it it is a slog, so... Yeah, I can, uh, I can fully understand that. Um, but uh, yeah, sounds sounds good. Sounds good. What resources do you uh, use go to to help you with your your triathlon training? People, people, people. I don't know that. Um,
5: I'm very, very, very unendingly lucky and grateful for the environment I'm in and for the people that I've come into contact with. And that have either taken me under their wing, or have we've got to know each other well enough that we can just vibe with each other, bounce ideas off each other, just chat sport, chat training. And so it's it's people I work with, it's people I train with, it's the, it's the people in the sport that are the their most valuable resource. And I don't say that, and like I'm using them as a resource, but they are the most valuable element, um, even more you know more so than just googling something and just reading an article. I don't learn a great deal from that. Um, not not anymore, I used to, but now the, the the connection with people and being collaborative and learning that's what that's the most valuable resource,
4: cool, yeah, I guess when you're surrounded by people every day um like you are then it would be yeah yeah Makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah cool, finally, the last one is what are your short term and your long term goals
5: my short term goals. Well, this is going to sound really shallow and really performance oriented (laughs) because I'm a huge advocate for people having process goals um, as opposed to outcome or performance, you know, result based goals. But my goal this year from a short term is to retain my National Aquathlon Championships title for the third year in a row. Um, It's something I never expected to win one to then to defend it successfully last year. And certainly going into this year as the two-time defending champion will be really, really exciting. Uh, I just love the discipline more than anything. And in terms of long-term goals, my long-term goals are actually more as a coach than an athlete. Uh, My my long-term goals are to to support people to get into the sport and to thrive and excel in the sport, whatever their ability level is, whatever their chosen discipline is, whatever age they are, whatever gender. I am not bothered. It's It's to help others engage with the sport of triathlon and, you know, in reality, I'd like to be able to coach an athlete through into the Olympic Games, maybe in Brisbane in 2032 as, as a member of the British triathlon coaching team. That would be a that would be a real star long-term goal for me.
4: Excellent. Excellent. Well, what a goal to have. And uh, well, best of luck with it all. Best of luck with your two races coming up this year in Ibiza and Hamburg. I will be keeping an eye out, see how you do, and rooting and willing you on. And um, yeah, I think that's a great place to land it. So thank you ever so much for your time tonight much appreciate
5: it likewise thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me cheers
4: cheers ben have a
5: great
0: cheers. evening you too Bye-bye. thank you bye bye well that's ben's story thank you ever so much ben once again for uh taking the time out and getting in touch and coming on the podcast and sharing the younger um age group athletes perspective on things um And like we said earlier, if you are a younger athlete represented GB or any other country and you'd like to come on and share your story and just give a perspective from um, the younger generation, then please uh, get in touch and we'll get something sorted. Uh, But yeah, interesting story from Ben. I hope you enjoyed that one. Um, It's great to see how he's progressed up until now at 26. He's as old as my youngest son. I was also 26. Uh so that makes me feel rather old. But no, it was, uh, it, was it was great to hear his perspective on things uh, related to triathlon and and see how he's progressed and um how he wants to progress in the future. So well done Ben. I hope you're successful in everything that you're going to be doing and you get to coach that Olymp- Olympic athlete uh, eventually. We'll be looking out for you and uh, and see what you what you can achieve. And if you'd like to follow Ben, he's on Instagram as Coach Ben. I'd like to see what service he provides as a coach. Um, the link's on there on his Instagram post at Precision Underscore Race Underscore Team, uh, and it's linked in to uh, Benjamin Submerville. So just follow the link on his Instagram post and and see what uh, Ben can offer you. And that's about it for now um, for this episode. I hope you, uh, you've you enjoyed it and the little insight that we had earlier on. It was a little bit indulgent, um, but we don't often do that on the podcast. Uh, so I think it was worth it, giving people an insight into uh, how everybody got on. If you'd like to come on the podcast, please get in touch. And we're always looking for age group athletes. You can get in touch by email at the age group multisport podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Instagram at amp1967. underscore 1967. You can drop us a DM to get in touch. We're on Facebook at ampgb. Same thing. You can drop us a, a DM to get in touch. We're on Twitter at age group multisport podcast. We have our own website, which is age group multisport podcast dot buzzsprout.com and you can find all the previous episodes on there if you don't want to go on a podcast platform and we have got a youtube channel which isn't updated but it's got all the back um, episodes on there as well which is amp gb so thank you once again for taking your time out to listen much appreciated and uh, that's it for this episode so Don't forget, stay safe, keep training and love the process.